and you hear the alarm incoming, incoming, incoming. You're like, who gives a shit? <laughs> and you just continue. You're going to the defect. You're going to the gym. You're going back to your chew or whatever the case may be. You just, you're like, fuck it. In this episode, we meet with J-Rod and discuss how bearing witness to the attacks on the World Trade Center and working on cleanup efforts was his call to service. We cover topics from his deployments to Djibouti, Africa and Iraq, his career with the NYPD, and a few of his recent experiences with some of the protests. This episode is full of entertainment and moments of self-reflection. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. J-Rod, what's going on, man? Feeling good. Feeling good. Kind of kind of blessed and honored to, to, to be here and to be doing this. Of course, man. I know. You haven't done a podcast before, have you? Uh, I have not. Wow. Have not. That's awesome. Welcome. We're thrilled to have you on. I know that uh, after we left New York City and meeting up with you, um, obviously photographing and interviewing you for the upcoming book, we knew we want to have you on as soon as possible. So okay. it's an honor to have you on. I that. I, uh, I noticed the shirt that you're wearing. What does it say? Uh, yes. Uh, do not give in to the war within. Mm, and nice. suicide. I like it. Wow. It's powerful. Yeah. I read the fir- first part of it and I thought w- I knew what the second part was, but I couldn't quite make it out. So that's why I was asking. Yeah, uh, it sparks conversation, man. Uh, one that uh, I've gotten very comfortable in having in, 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 in most recent recent uh weeks and months how is how is that in like so, new york are people pretty pro that conversation of that like pro military all that stuff um where i'm at you know I, I'm, I'm a police officer so so walking around the, the the academy or any other uh police facility it is something that isn't typical Mm-hmm. and mm. you, i haven't seen it and, and and that's what impressed me is that like yeah man that, that that's that's something that is a true b it was a good cause to, to to purchase this through this uh this this organization that that you know raises funds to uh you know keep keep the memories of uh uh individuals alive and uh it's it it dawned on me as something that you know cops like to wear particular shirts and messages and everything's cop stuff you know mm-hmm. working at the academy it's what you see and so since i've been wearing shirts like this and, and i have multiple um people people found it intriguing and they're like you know what's what's your involvement what's your experience yeah and i'm like let me tell you well <laughs> it's it's a I've, I've seen this shirt before i thought that's what it, what it was and uh it's definitely a statement piece because I feel like a lot of people walk around with different veteran shirts and things like that. And it's like, I don't know, there's certain messages and messaging that comes along with it. Um, but I feel like that one's a pretty powerful one and making a statement that like, Hey, it's almost like I'm here with you because mm-hmm. you know, not every veteran wears veteran stuff, but when you wear a shirt like that, like you could wear any other veteran shirt, but that one specifically speaks to like, Hey, you know, if you want to have a conversation, I'm here with you. That's what it did for me. And, uh, that's, that's totally what I hope it does. That's cool. We'll definitely get more into 
obviously uh, your career at the NYPD, but I want to kind of go all the way back and start off with what encouraged you to, first of all, enlist in the Army. It was it was 9-11 itself. Mm. 9-11, you know, my 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 brother had pushed it on me years before that. Mm -hmm. I was I was 17 when I started having that sort of influence and pressure and you know what have you been thinking about and you know you should you should get involved it's good and he was he was he's been involved since desert storm oh wow and 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 he went through the same things i did you know troubled teenage years and stuff like that and 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 the good that it did for him and saw me walking that same path he's like hey you know this would be good for you and i'm like i don't think so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but but 9-11 when that occurred um it, 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 it changed perception. What, what was that person like for you living blocks away from uh, the attack that happened on nine 11? I, I, I was, I was floored. I was absolutely floored. I was in class. I was, uh, in college trying to get my college credits to become a police officer. And, uh, I went to my class and just this person who I didn't even know, but I've had a lot of classes with just, without hesitation comes out to me. He's like, yo, two planes just flew into the World Trade Center. I was like, oh, that sucks. He's like, no, I, we're under attack. I'm like, what? Yeah. And professor came in, said his speech, uh, dismissed everybody and got with my friends and we drove to the west end of Long Island and we we couldn't even get off. The, the island was shut down. We've been, and, and every connection off of the island goes into the city or through the city and they shut mm-hmm. it all down. And we just watched it from as, as close as we could and just were, were blown away. So where were you going to school at the time? On Long Island? Yeah, on Long Island. I was, uh, you know, Suffolk Community College uh, doing criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Uh, so were you living like, I don't know, family and stuff like that very close, though, to where the Twin Towers were? Um, I was, no, I was about uh, a 40-minute drive. Okay. And was kind of blown away that from that 40 minute distance away, um, I had saw, you know, it, it was overcast cloud mm-hmm. or what seemingly was an overcast cloud. And there wasn't the overcast cloud at all. As you got closer and closer, you saw that that was a smoke coming from the world trade center. It just looked like that from a distance and you can connect it, uh, that it was coming from that location. And as you got closer, you saw it piping up and then it drifted off to mm-hmm. what I saw as an overcast cloud storm that was coming our way. Yeah. And, uh, I'm interested too, because it, it it's kind of crazy that you were going, well, I'm, I'm sure there were quite a few people trying to go too, but I would also imagine there were quite a few people trying to flee and just get away because mm-hmm. of the fear of, you know, what else was coming next. Absolutely. Absolutely. Endless video footage and photos of people just just walking across bridges because, you know, traffic was at a standstill and everything was shut down and that that was the only people's way out. Jeez. Um, my buddy worked on uh, on tugboats, uh, working for the Merchant Marines and tugged sand and stone uh, from upstate down through, you know, through the Hudson uh, Valley. And he was there and they were evacuating people off uh, off a of battery park uh, off the southern tip of, of manhattan island bringing them to new jersey bringing them to staten island wherever they could bring them wow, Those wow. Are people's doubts that's incredible and i can imagine so were you did you guys evacuate after the second plane hit or when the first one hit you guys saw the second one coming in 
No, I, I, I didn't see any of them coming in. Um, it was the second one that that hit that had that individual in my class telling me, no, this is this is a terrorist attack uh, or that we're under attack is what he said. And, and uh, you know, driving out there, we listened to the talk radio, 1010 wins. And um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't, uh, you know, we just gazed at it for a couple of hours, went home, couldn't was glued to the TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all day all night and uh had an opportunity with my friend who was a part of the merchant marines to to go out to uh ground zero that friday so uh-huh. i was a volunteer firefighter on long island and they were on standby no, no there was too many people trying to get in mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, he had an opportunity to go and then and then dock in that area and that, that's what we wound up doing so we went that friday got there five o'clock in the morning and uh it, it, we were walking around in what looked like mud because it was still dark at that time. And it was actual soot from the buildings. It was just, you know, dust and concrete mixed mm-hmm. with the rain. You're stepping in like eight inches of just concrete, just, just mush. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, a surreal experience. Um, was in ground zero got in on a bucket brigade and and it was actually those things where where i was really distraught and taken and it hit me what had occurred and the loss of life and the people who were left seeking answers and for a long time people were just missing Mm -hmm. And, and, and for people to be in that sort of limbo um really it really sucked it really really sucked to 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 experience that and my friend and i had were discussing all day while we we're doing cleanup that uh we were going to join the military mm-hmm. and we we're going to join join the army together and it didn't work out for him but i i i wound up going through that's crazy i i wonder how long uh how long was the city on shutdown for then I want to say several days. Like to clear out um, all that rubble too. That took weeks, months, yes. probably if not the, longer. The, the city itself was on lockdown. That area was on lockdown for months. Wow. And it took the better part of a year to actually clean it up. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think they had a ceremony when they were pulling out the last steel beam. And I think it was close to the anniversary. Wow. If I remember right. It was, it was, it was almost a year. I, you know, that's where we met you and took your photo and everything for the book. And I hadn't been to New York City before, so that was my first time. But I, you know, I told you this. I, I, I literally witnessed everything, you know, like I was at home from school and uh, my dad was in the Air Force and George Bush, first place he went to was the Air Force base that we were at. And so, like, I, we got word of it pretty quickly and uh and I remember watching it all and just thinking like, this is insane. I cannot believe this. And then after actually finally going and visiting and seeing that area, I could just, I, I can't imagine, like, I seriously can't like, cause the buildings are so tight together. Like there's not a lot of room and pathways to go. So I imagine all the dust and debris and everything that came from those towers, like just spread. I don't know, probably for blocks and blocks and blocks. Several, yeah. And Several. Uh, it, 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 it spread across completely the width. I mean, the, 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 the Twin Towers and, and Ground Zero was pretty 
very south. Um, and, and, and the width of it is, is, is much narrower at the south tip of, of Manhattan. But that soot went from, from you know, the water on the east side to the water on the west side. The, the, there were some piers on the west side, which was where we ended our day cleaning up those piers. Uh, because when we were inside actual, the actual ground zero, the wind started picking up that Friday and you had I-beams from the towers sticking out of other buildings that they were concerned that those I-beams were going to come down with all these gusts of wind. So they cleared it all out mm. and we just wound up picking up a project on the outskirts and we finished up our project out there. Um, and then by the end of the day, we wound up taking a bunch of Jersey firefighters back to New Jersey and then, and then we called it and we, we, we wound up going back to Long Island around six, seven, seven o'clock at night. That's insane. And I have like a, you know, an in engineer's mind. So when I saw all the destruction and like you said, those beams and everything and all the buildings that were damaged, I just, I don't even know how, like I can't fathom having to bring all that in demo it pull it out of buildings that are are structurally clearly not stable anymore mm -hmm. but still having to clear all that debris and everything out like i mean I, I could imagine just the people that were you know trying to figure out how to do it um right. is is impressive a lot of the time. yeah what was roughly uh i mean we could probably look it up but what was roughly the number of people that were that lost their lives to that it was over two thousand. yeah jeez I believe and we have another uh, and then some since because yeah. uh, you know with with 9-11 cancers and stuff like that I I, I enrolled in uh, in a 9-11 victims compensation fund because you know we had some people who are advocates and coming out and dealing with people who have been getting sick and they're like we want you to understand that if you spent just four hours in this environment that's enough wow I was like they're like, that's how toxic the air was. And that's how wrong it was for people to say, you know, the air quality is fine. It wasn't just, hey, the air quality is fine. No, it's not. It's, hey, the air quality is fine. It is no way can be considered or mistaken to be fine. It is so toxic that if you were down here for four hours, you have an increased chance of getting one of these 20 some odd cancers that have Jeez. been popping up uh, with people. Just years later, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. We have another veteran that we uh, interviewed and just, you know, he's uh, another guy that joined because of 9-11, but just the words that he used of, you know, watching even on television of the people that were up in those high towers that were contemplating, do I burn alive or do I jump to my death? And it's just insane to think about being in that situation. I can't even fathom what that would, would have been like on that day having that happen. And just even the people that were down on ground level that had no idea the buildings would even come down, mm -hmm. you know, just filming it and watching it and maybe running away. But then when you see them come down and it's just a giant like cloud of dust and debris, I mean, it's just chaos. That's it. What, what, what was, uh, I guess in your own terms, how long, I know you said it took almost a year for them to clean up everything, but how long do you think it took after that for the city to kind of go back to normal? Um, define normal yeah yeah that's you know? <laughs> a hard part the, i mean the stock exchange hasn't closed for shit and they closed for that um 
if we understand, you know, the people who work down there and stuff like that, and, and what goes on with that, that that itself is kind of mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the 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 World Stock Exchange uh, taking some days off that mm-hmm. aren't holidays and uh, etc. Um, people going back to work down there, it was piecemealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from outward in. People still weren't comfortable being down below. I think it was Canal Street uh, because that's that's where they drew the line regarding the toxicity mm. uh, levels. If you were anywhere below Canal Street between the east and the, and, and, and the west side uh, for more than four hours, then, then, then you're eligible. And that lasted a while. Um, but Damn. as far as it being normal, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't work down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I wasn't in law enforcement yet. Um, I've had some conversations with people who, who, who worked down there and security was much, much higher, mm-hmm. but things kind of opened up and he was back to work, uh, several weeks after five, six weeks after. Mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, one person's conversation. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it takes or took for, for individual companies or how close they were. Yeah. I, I almost wonder what the people did that live there. You know, the people that maybe weren't affected by all the debris or were very minimally affected, but were still living in that hot zone. I wonder if they, if that place just became a ghost town and people left or if they just had to stay and kind of wait it out. I, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine both. Uh, I'd, I'd imagine uh, going away for multiple reasons, the, 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 the toxic air, as well as the fear. Mm-hmm. The absolute fear. The real estate was affected down there, for sure. And anybody who understands New York real estate was gobbling that up because they knew that people get over fears and and and, and you know people have short memory spans and 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 things are gonna get built back up. So anybody who would have purchased real estate down there, uh, especially within the view of the thing that startled and scared people mm-hmm. and drove them away, now you have a view of of the Freedom Tower. That's big money. Yeah, and and, and that's that's a funny testament to to human behavior and uh, it's so wrong. Attachment. <laughs> people who are coming from you know from afar and then they come in like, oh, this is where it happened. Wow, that's crazy. But you really have no idea. You can't connect to the chaos, mm-hmm. yeah, and the trauma that, that that drove people out of there. So, so kind of going along with that theme, and especially like the theme of the book of of you know being more so the untold stories. You know what what do you think people haven't heard? Like, what are, what's the things that, you know, it's always in the news, every anniversary that remind people about, you know, the first responders and the residual effects of everything and the cleanup and stuff like that. But the day to day, you know, what, what's maybe a story or something that, you know, came from that, that, that maybe is not broadcasted as much. I wouldn't even I would I wouldn't even know where to go with that. Um, you know the, the the I'm not exactly sure. I I because the truth is it was uh, I was gone. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, was, I was I was gone. Uh, two months later, you know, and, and and the only thing had me turn it back to New York after 9-11 was 
uh, that airplane, uh, I think it was that Yankee pitcher that, 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 no, I'm sorry. It was an airplane that crashed in Queens, mm-hmm. another airplane that crashed in Queens and it was just a plane crash. But yeah, uh, people, people responded to that because it was, you know, nine 11 was still so fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had gotten up and I had left. So, um, any sort of, um, I don't know, stories, cover-ups, political movements, uh, agendas or narratives. I, 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 I was detached from that. I, yeah. I, I was learning how to be a soldier. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe that's the story, right? Like so many people got, I think everybody's eyes got wider. Their, their sphere of influence, their lives got so much bigger anybody who was in New York, even if they were on the global stock exchange or, you know, they were, um, you know, a world traveler, whatever the case may be. Like when nine 11 happened, everybody in the world saw it. Like everybody saw it and understood what happened. And I feel like there was a, there was a definitely a, a high percentage of a global outreach to New York. And I feel like, and, and this is just me as an outsider, but I would imagine you know, you kind of get this sense of like, you know what, I have a bigger purpose, a bigger calling, like something I need to do, like stuff like this should not happen again. Yeah. That did occur. And I guess if I had to uh, speak about anything, it's, um, you know, the, the, the memories that people, and I keep on mentioning how, you know, people have short memory spans and stuff and, and, and it's, it's a double-edged sword where you have this sort of trauma that occurs and then, and then people are scared, but then people have short memories and they come back and money comes back. It's the same thing with, um, and what I noticed was, was the unity and the support and the values, um, police coming down the street and just parades of people cheering them on and, and mm-hmm. echoing being grateful and fire department, you know, the firefighters and any, any sort of first responders. Um, we kind of, we kind of got a good feel for that again with COVID and, yeah. and, and nurses and so on and so forth. But it, it, it wasn't long after nine 11 where, um, that dissipated mm-hmm. and people went back to their lives and, cops are dicks again and you know just just and 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 all that you know it's it's that makes me so sad to hear that like that was the last time our country was so united yes was 2001 from a major event because even even like there were some very very like far out people who thought 9-11 was like an inside job and all kinds of stuff and and that's their own beliefs and everything but i would say you know the vast majority of America came together because of mm-hmm. 9-11. But even COVID, I just feel like for whatever reasons became politicized so quickly that even though there was this like sense of initial unity, then it became more of like pockets of unity. It was like, oh, let's focus on, you know, the uh, healthcare workers. Oh, let's focus on the people who are still serving food. Let's focus on the small business owners. But it's never been like a Hey America, let's get together and like figure out how to help each other out. I feel like that that just hasn't really happened at a national level. And so you're right. I mean, it's so frustrating to see that an event like 9/11 has to happen to bring a country together. Mm-hmm. And, and and it shouldn't be. 
ever. Like 9-11 should be the reminder of why our country is so great and how we can bond together and recover and be so successful. Mm -hmm. And that should be the reminder every year is like, let's remind ourselves like this was the worst, one of the worst days in our history. But let's use that grief and suffering to build ourselves back together. Absolutely. You you know, it's sad though, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think that the reason being why so many people politicized the COVID thing, I'm going to be honest, I think it all started with 9-11. Because if you think about how that event transpired and then not to dive deep into the conspiracy theories, but how people started talking, you know, saying it was an inside job and all that. There's a lot of people in documentaries that have been written on it. And in their case, they're so factual with that argument that people believe that, okay, well, our government is flawed and they screw us over and they screwed us over on 9-11. So it started this spiral and then all of a sudden COVID comes around and then that's just the next thing that the government is doing to make political and make a lot of money off of. So they're like, nope, we've seen this before. This happened on 9-11. This is bullshit too. Totally, totally could be. I, 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 I buy into that. I buy into any sort of uh, connection that people want to 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 make. You know, like like if people have that belief and they want to carry it over. I I I think that I think that the population of people that you know believe that nine eleven was a hoax was was significantly smaller than than COVID. I believe mm-hmm. that there was a large population of people that found COVID to be a hoax or or yeah. exacerbated to some degree, some level. And I think over the course of time to include the recent elections is, you know, and creating that division mm-hmm. is where we saw people politicizing and seeking opportunity mm-hmm. using this tragedy that is COVID. Uh, I don't think people sought the opportunity or, 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 or saw it. And I don't know if they would have been successful exploiting it on 9-11 i yeah. think that that as a political standpoint would have been suicide yeah so so, so it, it seemed to be more uh, you know pockets of people it wasn't politicians it wasn't people taking sides it wasn't people who you know and there's no politician saying that 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 uh, COVID's a hoax but we are t- we are seeing the divide mm-hmm. on, on capitol hill regarding numbers and skew numbers and lying yeah. and so on and so forth so uh, you know, it, 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 the the unity thing as a whole, um, I thought I, th- I thought it resembled 9-11, the COVID thing, but it didn't come close to it. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I was out there on the street doing things when people were were were, were slamming their pots and pans, you know, at seven o'clock, at, you know, at, at every day at seven o'clock, people would come out their windows and they would bang pots and pans as an appreciation and it just became this thing. I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I thought it was really beautiful. And it's a great wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. Nice absolutely. morning alarm. You just feel so excited, energized, you get that <laughs> unity in your blood. That's the, yeah. yeah, it's rough. I wish, you know, there was the hard part is like Dan said is like, what we need another attack like that to bring our country together and put aside our differences. I hope not. I hope not too. And 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 when you, when when Dan is talking about you know that's those are the things that we should remember. One of the other things we need to put into that pocket is that don't think that this can't happen again. Yeah, totally. Don't think that people don't want to do that again. 
yep. or that we won't let our guard down enough or, or just just whatever turn that blind eye in that moment at that time in some other form and 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 we really got to be careful about that and think about that and that is the thing that if we're focused on maybe it dwarfs all these other things that we're not agreeing on yeah 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 it needs to be um I don't know. I, I I just wish more people would, you know, look at their neighbor as a human as opposed to their enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's that's the biggest thing that um, events like these should be the reminder of. And like I, I remember hearing a story and maybe you've heard this, too, is when 9-11 happened, like there was a I, I don't want to get the event wrong, but more or less there was a fleet of ships and yachts and private boat owners and everything that went from Jersey city and flooded over to, uh, the shores of, of, of the, that South beach, um, and just started loading people up and trying to get them out of there as fast as they could. And I want to say that it was like a million people that private boat owners shuttled. That's crazy. A million people back and forth, just getting people off the Island, which is just insane to think about. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the, like the, the, the French Marines are doing that too. The tugboats were doing that. They were, they were, I think the, I think the big issue was the Coast Guard was being held back for some yeah. reason. And people were like, fuck that. Yeah. That's and, a little weird. And they flooded. And then eventually, uh, don't, don't quote me on that. That is a uh, uh, hearsay. Um, but I think they eventually went up getting involved. And, and I've heard that on more than one occasion from more than one, one person regarding, their involvement and, and the Coast Guard for one reason or another, you know, red tape. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there was something at a higher level was like, you need to be ready just in case something happens again and sure. all that. But yeah, just the, the selflessness though, of knowing that something bad is happening and still like take your personal boat and like get over as fast as you can load people up, take them back across the other shore keep and just doing keep doing that over and over again all day just to try and get people to safety yeah that's fucking cool it's just incredible and like i know there's always random acts of kindness and there's things in the world that we should definitely like continue to tell those stories but just uh you know i guess one last time hitting on my point is like we need to have a sense of unity and these 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 acts of terror and tragedy need to be uh the annual reminder of why it's so important for us Mm -hmm. to stay together yeah, yeah, most people think New Yorkers are assholes. I don't know. I kind of like them. I, I've met a lot of good New Yorkers while the, I was up there. They're Granted, brutally, very weird. They're brutally honest. That's what I like. COVID yeah, is weird. And they're assholes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're the good kind of asshole. They honk your horn. Yeah. They say, hey, Hello. fuck off. But it's like in a friendly way. You know what's interesting, though? You know what I picked up from it is it wasn't necessarily like, yeah, maybe there is, you know, the voices are uh, inflected a little bit more. So they're louder, you know, but. If you go to Europe, like people tell you just how it is, is like, get out of the way. You're being mm-hmm. an idiot or like, you know, stop doing this. Why are you doing that type thing? And like, that's basically what New York is just a little bit louder. Yeah. And so I don't hey. see it as like being an asshole. Hey, you want a hot dog? No, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> um, all right. So coming, coming back. So I, I know nine 11 was the, uh, kind of the crux is what which got you to finally you know decide that you needed to do something more and, and serve your country and so um you know you told us a little bit about what you did but if you could just kind of share you know what that initial enlistment was like for you um 
was it was it was a shell shock. I I I've never you know I've, I've been to DR before that, and that's it. If I if I can't if I ever came from me going anywhere, I'm in Ocean City, Maryland, and now I'm getting plane tickets bought for me. I'm getting shipped off to boot camp in the, in Fort Benning, Georgia. It was just like 99% of the people who show up there, fucking shell shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, when I'm holding my bag over my head, being yelled at by a bunch of uh, drill sergeants, the thought came to my mind, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what do they call that? That uh, is, I think they changed it, but isn't it called the shark tank? Uh, it's a shark attack. Shark, shark attack. attack. Yeah, that's what shark it is. And they, they by, by round of browns and, and then they get in your face <laughs> and you don't know what to do. You don't you can't even process information. You know, I'm not to, to stray too far, but you know, they changed that. They don't do that anymore. No, huh? they got rid of it because they I think they felt like it was unnecessary and, and it was too offensive. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Everybody's offended well, these days. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a big thing about um, a big video that I was watching a couple weeks ago where they got rid of the whole shark attack because it was uh, it was breaking down too many people. And I'm like, isn't that the point? You're supposed to like thin out the fucking dead wood. I think so. Yeah. Still think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, uh, it was quite the shell shock. It was insane. I, I, I uh, got through that, got through, um, you know, basic and, you know, had an opportunity to go to airborne. I was like, fuck that. I don't want to spend another week here. Get me out of here. <laughs> All that shit. Uh, of course, looking at hindsight, like, ah, I messed up on that, on those decisions. But, uh, I got recruited when I was there. I was I was slated and, and signed up out of uh, uh, Fort Hamilton, and I was going to Tenth Mountain. And it was while I was at Fort Benning that they had a uh, old guard recruiter down there, just plucking people out who had like one ten GT scores, and sold you a bag of goods. Which <laughs> listen, don't get me wrong, the old guard was cool, uh, but you know it wasn't what this guy was. Selling me, man. <laughs> Ratio of women to men was ten to one, and mm -hmm. drinking in uniform, and you're cleaning up, and all this stuff. You still get to do your infantry stuff, and uh, it was it was an honor to be a part of the old guard. It was really really cool. It uh, I left there when I got out with uh, you know that sense that I didn't go and do what I signed up to do. Mm. And, it was it was just different. It wasn't better or worse. It was different, mm -hmm. and it kind of it kind of it kind of left a, a little void. I, I I did a deployment with uh, with my company. Um, well, I volunteered. Another company was going, and I, and I volunteered to join them. Uh, did a deployment to Djibouti, Africa, mm. and uh, hearts and minds. Uh, you know, just just a lot of a lot of security for the engineers where they're building up churches and mosques and schools. And, that sort of thing, all good stuff, but not what I had envisioned. You wanted to fight. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the way I describe it to people, people are like, yeah, you wanted to go to war? And it's like, I, I remember being a volunteer firefighter and, 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 and explaining it to like, like this to people and, and, and kept on doing it like that because it kind of got to them. A firefighter doesn't want people's houses to burn down. Yeah, I don't wish your house to burn down for you to lose everything that you've ever owned. But you go a long time without having a fire, you start to feel like you don't have a purpose here. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're wishing for work. 
whatever that work may be. And yeah. it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't wish ill on people or anything like that, but yeah, man, I, I, I wanted to fight. That's an excellent parallel. I, I don't think I've ever drawn before, but it, it makes so much sense. Like you want to execute on the things you've been trained on. So it's not necessarily that you're wishing for the worst to happen, Correct. but you are so trained and prepared for something to happen. It's like being, you know, a, uh, a, a, a kicker, I don't know, for a Super Bowl team or something like that, never getting to kick a field goal. You know what right. I mean? Like the quarterback's yeah. always going to throw the ball. The running back's always going to run the ball. You know, things like that are going to happen. But the kicker yeah. isn't always guaranteed to kick. Like, and so it's it's one of those situations where it's like you're trained up for it. You're with everybody else, but then you just never do it. Right. And 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 you want to be able to to in 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 a way provide that service. You know, I I want to come to your aid on your damnedest day. You know, and I want to see, you know, maybe your house won't burn down because of me and my crew, you know, and, and, and it's it's more those thoughts rather than, you know, just just hope I have an awesome house fire. Yeah. And, and you know, hope I have a fucking wicked battle. Nobody, people and even and, and even when you go into these moments and mind you, this was my mindset before uh, before Iraq. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's 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 amazing how how naive that sort of thing is because anybody who might have shared my feelings and I'm sharing right now, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember feeling that way and then actually got to experience it was probably like stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what ignorant thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And you just, you, you just don't know. Uh, and uh, even my experiences in Iraq weren't that crazy, but still, but uh by comparison, it's just it's just crazy that I even thought that. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was an individual thinking it that have it hasn't experienced it. Yeah. And nonetheless, that's that's how I felt. And 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 I got out of the army um proud and glad and missing something. Mm. Just just uh, I, I was missing something and and had no fucking clue that what that was or that I even was missing something, you know, that's all in hindsight. Yeah. And then I, it was, it was about maybe a year, a year and a half, close to two years after I got out, I got that wonderful FedEx package (laughs) from the IRR. (laughs) I was like, Oh, FedEx. All right. I guess you guys are tracking this. (laughs) So I was actually going to ask you that because a lot of people don't know, uh, like when you initially enlist in the military, even though you may sign a three year or four year, five year, six year enlistment to be active duty, you actually sign an eight year contract. So whatever your active duty is, whatever time is remaining, you are on the inactive ready reserve. Meaning at any given point, the government can send you that FedEx packet and say, ah, we're actually still going to need you. You need to come back. And if you had asked my recruiter, he would have told you that's in the event of World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's this eight year? What's this eight number? What's this eight year thing in my contract? I'm signing up for four, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah now you're good. Like, yeah, oh, don't worry about that. That's just <laughs> for us. <laughs> that little guy, don't worry about that little guy. 
Any spoiler <laughs> options you want to do in the army? Not available. You're doing infantry. Ten yeah. Four. <laughs> That's funny because when I that. when I think about you know personally and me ever enlisting in the military, it would be to fight. I know there's a lot of other roles and there's a lot of other careers that people can get into, which are super beneficial. Um, hell, when you get out, you get a VA loan, you get a lot of perks, you know, but um, I don't know. I just think in the military, I'd want to fight. And I'm sure that that was in most, you know, people's heads who signed up post 9-11. And if you really weren't comprehending that, the, the basic training drove it home. Mm-hmm. Every nuance, every single thing, the cadences, mm-hmm. you know, what makes the green grass grow? Blood, 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 drill sergeant, you know, like, like, like all of this is conditioning and mm-hmm. getting your mind right. So you get into this certain place where, you know, like, 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 like teaching a vegan to like steak, bloody steak at that, you know, and then, then you start <laughs> craving for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's, it's when I, when I look back at the, at my evolving, you know, basic had a lot to do with it. And my, my drill sergeants and the whole setup uh, made sense. That's why it's very disheartening to hear the, you know, these sort of changes that are occurring and a a lighter PT and no cursing at you or shark attacks or anything like that. I'm like, that's, that prepared me. It's going to make weaker soldiers. Well, into without going too much into that, like this is a normal thing. It's what the, yep. the military does is like we are slowly, even though we have so many different engagements and things going on around the world, we are still the vast majority is turning into a peacetime military. Like we're we're slowly getting back to a peacetime military. Yes, we still have engagements around the world. Yes, people are still in combat zones. Yes, people are still getting in firefights and things like that. I'm not saying that's not happening. But what I am saying is you don't have 160, 170,000 people deployed in a combat zone right now. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not happening anymore. It's it's, you know, a couple, you know, 10, 20,000. And so think about it from that perspective. That is a very fair point. And so now that we're coming back from not constantly being in combat, people have time to think about the little things that end up being really dumb things that they lose focus on really what the important thing is, which is to be ready to go to combat again. And so that's kind of what's happening. I feel like, you know, again, outsider's perspective, I'm not in the military anymore, so I don't know what their thought process is, but that's just what I have a feeling is happening again is, is people are starting to transition back to that peacetime military. Well, the pendulum never stops swinging. It, 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 it's it's always going to the left or to the right and maybe it swings a little bit left uh, you know a little bit less but it's it's always swinging and 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 911 had it pegged to one side so as we come off of it it's going to swing back the other way mm-hmm. these things yep. happen you know in in you know timelines of years so I'm sure it'll swing back the other way again too. Yeah, yeah. during 9/11, someone guess. someone duct taped that thing to the right side for a long time. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not> kidding, <laughs> it was left over there for a bit. <laughs> There's a lot of angry people that held it up. There was other people trying to push it down. They're like, "No, fuck this! It's staying up." <laughs> um, all right, so you were in the uh, IRR for uh, you said about a year and a half, right? Yeah, 
was, it was it was close to two years because I had to I had to defer. I deferred uh, because I took a job down in Virginia. I had I had left my police job for another police job down in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, you know they 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 you know certain de- de- deferments had to be approved. They approved that, and I went down to Virginia. Uh, tried being a cop down there. Also, uh, the underlining factor I was chasing my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Mm. Um, you know, you know, clubbed her, clubbed her over the head like a caveman, and dragged her back to New York <laughs> by her hair. Uh, it, it worked. It worked. It, it worked. <laughs> Went down there. So, so she she agreed to come back to New York. And when I came back to New York, I was back for a month before I uh, I got on the plane and I, I, I deployed. So I left in like July of 08. I came back July of 09 and in August of 09, I was gone. Man, poor girl. Um, you dragged her all the way up there and then you just bailed. She was okay with it. It was New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's a lot of distractions in New York. Lots of pretty views and things to do. Yeah. So, uh, so again, a lot of people don't realize this and, and maybe you can explain your story so it gives a lot of context. But when you get pulled off the inactive ready reserve you don't have a choice like there's there's no question about like oh where am i going next do i have my top three you know it's like you're just going to the needs of the army wherever they decide for your mos it'll be needs of the army they they they, maybe they reclass people i didn't experience that but they extracted me former mos and i knew it was coming that this is back when you know everyone was on myspace Mm -hmm. and I was watching all my friends that I had made in the, in the military getting tagged left and right. And, uh, it was getting closer and closer. I got my tag and yeah. Um, I wound up going my orders as they came, but as I deferred them, I had multiple orders. They all were calling for Fort Benning, Georgia, go to Fort Benning and you're going to, you know, you're going to get trained up and we're going to attach you to, who, you know, HRC St. Louis, who is down, you know, the headquarters who are in charge of these orders and shifting all of these people and filling all these holes, whoever needs it at that time, that's where you're getting it. Mm. And, uh, they attached me. Um, I was down at Fort Benning for about a month. There was, uh, I want to say there was like, like almost 50 of us. Wow. And uh, uh, to my surprise, a lot of these people didn't even finish their, their, first, they went AWOL. Um, uh, all sorts of reasonings. It was a lot of AWOL, a lot of AWOL. And so this was the military's opportunity to offer you one last chance to get an honorable discharge. Mm, wow. So people were coming in and it was, it was an interesting bunch of people Yeah. because I came back as I left the army, my four years as a sergeant, I came back, you know, I left with an honorable discharge. So here I am back amongst other people who, are you know chips on their shoulders are we you know don't want to be there you know fucking i'm gonna do the minimum that i have to do and i'm just gonna get through this that that was the meat and potatoes of it all and they took like close to 30 people and sent them to afghanistan they took like you know 20 some out of us and sent us to uh iraq but they attached us to units that were going they didn't just kick us off so i went up going to fort bliss where i linked up with my uh my unit who I was being attached to, which was a Texas National Guard unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I'm, I'm sure it's in my orders what, what, what that unit was, but I wound up getting attached to Charlie Troop, 
I'll never forget that because they, 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 you know, everyone's got their own, you know, names that they call themselves. So it was Chaos Troop, and I'm like, true to the name, <laughs> this is Chaos. So <laughs> like if you take that movie Holes and you put those people in the military. <laughs> you know, what I was thinking of when he was talking about it, only because of the context and the way you were saying it is like, is like Suicide Squad. If you were like thrown into oh, the Suicide shit. Squad, <laughs> yes, <laughs> these are the <laughs> shittiest of the shittiest. And, and, and the hero abilities. Yep. So, like, and how how was that? Because you know you were active duty, and I know you were doing the honor guard thing, so a little bit different. But and maybe you didn't have enough time, I guess, to fully fully divest yourself from the military, but still being gone for you know almost two years, and then being yep. sucked right back into it. You know, how was that? Did you pick up everything right away, or was it like a lot of relearning? No, I took right to it. I took right to it because because even though I did the old guard thing, they took a lot of pride in being infantry first. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so whenever we weren't, you know, everything is done on rotations and you have a week of doing ceremonies and going through and doing your funerals, uh, change of command ceremonies, inaugurations, you name it. And uh, if you weren't doing that, you were training. Wow. You know, you you went out, you were doing field exercises, you were gone two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. um, you know, EIB opportunities. You, you, so you kept up with your skill set. And when I, when I was gone for two years, I just, even though I dragged my feet when I got there, I was like, all right, we're here. What's yeah. up? I, I, I do not know what the fuck's in front of me. I'm going to Iraq or Afghanistan. Get your fucking head right. Let's see what we got to do. And I was even more inclined to do that when I saw my 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 constituents. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I saw the people who I was pulled in with, and 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 and, and I'm not judging by any means. I, I I think that it's great that they gave these people another opportunity and they took it. Yeah. And I had a lot of them uh, fall under me. My time counted when I was away, so I got paper boarded when I was there. So I made staff sergeant. Um, oh wow. Yeah, so so I, I, August I got I, I went to Benning. By September I was in Bliss. Uh, by December we were deployed, so we trained up for those solid two months too. You know, uh, doing everything in Bliss with this unit, getting that unit cohesion and everything. And uh, like the second day that we were in theater, I wound up like my orders came down, and huh, uh, it was it was like four of us that made that work. So I had a specialist that got promoted to sergeant and there was three other sergeants that got promoted to staff sergeant that's awesome so how was that personally like for you to jump right back in knowing that you're about to deploy again i uh it's so conflicting i realized that that was my void Mm -hmm. and i stand here now now i'm better you know, but when I when I came back, I was like, I fucking hated myself for missing that and realizing that that's what I missed. Hmm. Um, and, 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 and that was based off of, you know, everything I was dealing with when I came back and, and you know, the, the, the changes that occur from, you know, the things that, that you know, you, you go through and you endure and things that you may have missed while you were over there. Mm-hmm. So so it was, you know, thinking right now, uh, you know, very conflicting when I was there, I I. I I was in it, you know, the, the, 
okay, where do we go? What do we do? Bounding, you know, freaking, you know, the, taking buildings and, 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 and battle drill one alphas and fucking, it was fun again. Yeah. It was fun. You, you, you never really, you never really miss the circus, but you, you, you do miss the clowns. And <laughs> I met a whole nother team of clowns. Mm-hmm. And even though the brass may have, you know, treated us like stepchildren, you know, and that's what we were, you know, we were stepchildren. So the treatment was different, which was unfortunate, but made again, incredible friends. Yeah. And, and, and things that only, I, I, I think people who, who have done it, understand it. I'm, I'm, I don't need to explain it to you guys. You, you, you know what the hell I'm saying. You know, there's the, some of the best friends that you'll, you'll ever, uh, you'll ever make in your life or come out of out of those shit situations. Yeah. What was, so what do you, what do you I, think the most? In those moments, I was good. Yeah. What, what do you think the most, um, kind of being with like the, like you said, the stepchildren of that group, what do you think your most memorable experience was on deployment with that group of people? Um, being the clog in the pipe. And, 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 and what I mean by that is, you know, as a staff sergeant and they split us all up. So, so the entire unit got split up more or less, you know, the, 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 the stepchildren. Yeah. Be too much and trouble. What's that? Be too much trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and they, they had like eight or nine or 10 different agendas in, mm-hmm. in, in 10 different locations. And there was a lot of force protection, a lot of force protection. So we wound up going to, uh, JBB where, where joint base Balad, where, uh, they, they had the whole unit there and then they, they sent people out in multiple directions. And I went to, uh, to Basra and I wound up being the clog in the pipe there because, you know, the brass does come down and, you know, treat us as stepchildren. And there was a lot of you know, administrative stuff as well as safety issues and anything that you're asking for help on, um, you weren't getting it. And the people who needed help were underneath you and they were looking at you like, hey, where is it? Where's mm-hmm. the help? I didn't get my pay or, or this was missing or uh, a plethora of issues that, that you're handling as daily, daily responsibilities. You're taking care of your soldiers, addressing whatever needs to be addressed, you know, having them handle whatever they can handle. Mm-hmm. And anything that you need to support on, you kind of weren't, you, you, there ain't no kind of, you weren't getting so that part of the experience was, it was, it was, it was very, very hard and very frustrating. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, we had, uh, we had people be relieved of commands. I, you know, I, as a staff sergeant, I was in charge of, of my area for three weeks while they were trying to replace my lieutenant, you know? So, so it was, it was kind of all over the place mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't have just, you know, one one memory regarding regarding that uh that stood out um uh other than you know other than you know the the the, the rockets and the mortars mm-hmm. and and and, you know, and 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 all that shit yeah um, that's that's the uh you know that's 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 the one thing that just just you know, that incident uh, occurring when, um, you know, is, 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 I mean, is, 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 was that the, uh, the question you guys were relating to? I wasn't sure if you were like, talking about my, uh, my experience administrative wise or as, you know, in that position as a staff sergeant or the, the, 
you know, the, in, the most memorable incident in general. No, I think you're hitting on a lot of important things that a, a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And like right. wouldn't have yeah. really any insight on if they didn't hear it from somebody. You know what I mean? And like you're for a lot of people, you're on deployment. You're you know, you know where you're at, but you don't really know where you're at. You're just kind of told where you need to be and you're doing your job. And then there's always things in the background that are happening. And I could imagine, especially for you guys that were, you know, d- detached and then attached wherever, um, not having a central place to go to with a lot of issues. And like you said, a lot of administrative things has to be super frustrating because like, especially coming from the guard, I imagine, you know, you, you, you've got to get your active duty pay. You got to get your sure hazardous duty pay. You got to get, um, I think you get an additional pay. I can't remember what it's called, but, um, what, like an overseas something pay right. and like there's, get, there's like four different things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like getting all that straight and then you don't have a place to go to. And then like, I'm sure a lot of people have issues with their job, even though there's like, you know, the, the national defense act or whatever it is to protect people from their jobs and stuff like that coming from a guard unit i would imagine you got to deal with all that in the background your families don't know where you are it's got to be a lot of chaos like just absolute chaos to deal with and people don't understand that not only are you being tasked with you know going out on missions or protecting people you know fighting with the enemy whatever the case may be but then you got all this other stuff in the background that can be happening that you just got to figure out how to deal with right and 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 you're reluctant to talk about for for multiple reasons a lot you know the the, the sheer image that it looks like you know it, 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 oh you're just bitching you know or or the importance of image that you don't want the units or, or yourselves or your guys to look bad or mm-hmm. you know, because, because image has a lot to do with, with, with these things. And, and once you look behind the curtain and, and you see how, first of all, how many cogs are in the wheel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then not to play devil's advocate or, or defend anybody, but there's a lot of moving parts of this. It's a fucking logistical nightmare that I, for one, don't believe I can handle right so so I do have appreciation for those up top and for top and you know for for commanders that have to handle all that what I thought I was dealing with was probably the tip of the iceberg right but nonetheless there were there were real concerns and real things and 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 real chaos Mm -hmm. Uh, you know genuine frustration that contributed to morale issues and therefore uh, it's a domino effect and, and, and people just not showing up right here mentally, yeah. um, you know, falling asleep on, on, on guard watch and, and, and not, not knowing your, your, your sectors and your missions. And, and it just trickles into everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if there's a one size fits all solution to that, but in any case it exists and it adds to everything else that's on your plate. And if anyone doesn't affect them in a negative way and they don't bring that home either, um, uh, they're mistaken. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a part of the change. It's a part of the things that you experience and go through and have to handle and deal with when you come home yeah. and yeah. work. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, from it's a, it's a frustrating thing, though, from the top, though, right? Like you should the one thing that you should want to 
figure out as quickly as possible to get those stressors away is things as what I'll say as quote simple as pay and any other like background issues and stuff like that because you don't want people who are in the fight to have to think about that or worry about it like you want them to show up every day and know that it's you know their time to take the field like they've got to perform it's their Mm -hmm. mission like they've they've got to be there and when they're worrying about you know what's happening back home and stuff like that it takes them away from it even if it's not a hundred percent away from it you know even 20 percent away from what they should be doing is still affecting them and it's affecting their team and everybody else around them and i feel like overall people have gotten better i know i felt some of that too and even some of my early deployments but i feel like it got better it and hopefully it's continuing to get better and hopefully they yeah. you know it's something that's figured out now but you know who knows um I think the more people that may experience it, you have, you know, you're branching in one of two ways. You're, 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 you're getting out or you're staying in and you don't want people to experience the things that you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you, you figure out ways to address it. You, you're in tune to it. Uh, what may not seem to be a big deal to somebody else here you are, you're like, no, I experienced this. This can be a big deal. Let's handle it. That sort of thing. So it made me appreciate you know, my, 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 you know, the middle of the line when uh, I was on my first appointment, you know, I was a specialist when I went on my first appointment. So whatever my staff sergeants and sergeant first classes were handling, I had no idea. And mm-hmm. they did a great job shielding us from it too, since I didn't have any idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know you, you briefly were, were touching on this and you told us a little bit about it, but uh, as somebody who's been, deployed multiple times and especially in 2007 2008 2009 like indirect fire mortar attacks rocket attacks were a daily occurrence ieds all that stuff was like you became numb to it so quickly that you were just like i don't know i feel like my first time there i was like waking up and like you know like looking around like what the hell was that like how close is that you know the first few times everyone's like go to sleep <laughs> they're like dude just calm down don't worry about it <laughs> like you know the first time you're over there the first few weeks you're, you're getting used to it or whatever and then after that you're just like you become so numb to it when it's like it's like if it's not within 100 meters of you you're like ah that was nothing you know so i i kind of understand uh i think where this is, story is going and where you're coming from when this happened I'm very grateful you, uh, you know, you, you, you say it like that because that was actually one of my great struggles when I was over there is, is, is becoming numb to that. And, and, and I was unable to decipher if, uh, you know, if I was numb to it or if I welcomed it mm-hmm. and, and lack of care, it confused me, you know, where was this coming from? Why was I not caring? Um, it being numb, um, being numb to it and just, just getting used to it and, and understanding range and signature and, you know, to be able to not be worried about it because you have experience now is obviously, you know, how I feel about it now. But, but yeah. in those moments when I was there and just carrying everything else and just walking around and you hear the alarm incoming, incoming, incoming. You're like, who gives a shit? <laughs> and you just continue. You're going to the defect, you're going to the gym, you're going back to your chew or whatever the case may be. You just, you're like, fuck it. You know, maybe if there's a bunker right there, you just sneak right in real quick. You're like, look up, listen, 
if you hear it off in the signal, you know, in the round, like boom, you're like, okay, let's go. Yep. That's carry on. <laughs> but it, it, it was it was certainly conflicting in that moment when I felt that way. It kind of scared me. It kind of scared me that I did not care, mm-hmm. and I did not know what that meant. I didn't know how to interpret that, and it just it just made me it just made me scared. Um, and, and, and that didn't start happening until, you know, I was, you know, I was rocked out of my socks. It was, it was my, my, my only close encounter with, with, you know, significant, uh, danger or, or, or maim or death. And, uh, you know, which also makes it a very hard thing to talk about, but that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other, uh, you know, topic I, I can, you know, I can jump into in a moment, but, you know, driving, I was, I was, you know, the staff sergeant in control of two uh, ECPs, uh, uh, entry control points. Mm-hmm. And I had a soldier at each one. And I'm going back and forth just making sure I'll spend more time at one than the other. But I'll jump on that gator and I'll drive to the other side of the, of, of the camp. And are you good? You need anything? Relieve, go to the bathroom, bring some snacks, or whatever the case may be. And it was driving back when that, when that indirect was coming. And uh, I'm riding along. Uh, T walls. So I'm driving just straight down the road that we have, all laid with lava rock to keep the dust down from all the the vehicles and the you know the sandstorms and the wind. And I'm driving along the you know over this lava rock, and I hear the you know the alarm go off. So I get up right against the T walls, just you know caution, buy you some mm-hmm. time, or, you know give you some protection. And those T walls end because I came to an intersection which was at the front ECP. And that's exactly where the uh, the rocket landed, like 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 50 feet, and this just little area that we had nothing in, you know, a light tower. That was it, um, and it blew me right out of the gator. Um, landed, uh, you know, like, like face down onto this lava rock, just just like, you know, like a hard tackle, right? Mm. You just like, oh, and the wind gets knocked out of you, and you just give it a second rocks are coming down from from uh from the rocket and he's just like give it a second give it a second and you get up all slow adrenaline's got everything good you know you're all good adrenaline's doing its thing (laughs) oh you think you're good (laughs) you're checking on 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 people and when they start looking at me like i had a dick run out of my forehead i knew i was just you know i was banged up i was banged up uh I used to call it mangled. It's it wasn't mangled. I, I was banged up. I was banged up good. I still I still get nosebleeds to this day. My nose got broken. Um, uh, snow makes me dizzy sometimes. Like, like like I had things happen because of that. And um, that that is when uh, I noticed what I was talking about just a second ago. That I just I just stopped caring. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, did, 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 did that incident make me numb or did it make me not care? I don't know. But um, I was so turned off by by my experiences at that point as well with my unit, with everything that was going on, being that clock in that pipe, that I didn't address it formally. I got cleaned up. I was like, I don't need to be doing reports. I don't want to be put in for anything. Another individual was close to me. This was a cab unit. So, so they weren't getting no CIBs. Like, listen, man, you know, freaking, you can get a CIB for this. And that didn't feel okay to me. And that's just me. Mm-hmm. They, they, they put in uh, this soldier for a cab and cool. 
I'm good with that. I, I, I wasn't okay with, with, with doing that for me and kind of, kind of regret it only because like <laughs> how much that would help me with the VA right now. And that, 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 now the VA is uphill battle with the things that I'm dealing with because of it. And here we are a dozen years later, mm-hmm. hindsight's a son of a bitch. You know, it, it is what it is, but that was my experience in that moment with that. And, and, and that was my mindset. And um, yeah, it, that was, that was the beginning of, you know, really, really starting to tally up my struggles. Mm. And to kind of, and even to fast forward and transition into that, I mean, how did that affect and what, you know, was your transition like personally to you after, you know, getting out of the military and going back into the civilian kind of industry? It was a major contributing factor to just, you know, um, you know, to messing me up and, and, and how I viewed things. Um, obviously, uh, you know, obviously PTSD and, um, and what that branches out and how that affects you, your nervous system, your response to people, triggers, and, and what those triggers entail, you know, levels of aggression, uh, suppressing it through alcohol, um, all those typical things that, that occurred when you came back and, and it being unbeknownst to you until you get in trouble, you run into a wall, you know, proverbial wall, whatever that may be, you know, trouble with work or mm-hmm. DBs or whatever. And for me, it was, it was, it was my wife, you know, I came home, she was my girlfriend. We dated for another year. You know, we, we got engaged when I came home, got married after a year, um, waited a year to have a child. And it was in that time where things just got bad and she put it to me straight and quick. Mm. She's like, listen, you are not the same person that came home that went over there. Uh, there are some things that you have to work out and you have to work them out. And if you choose not to, this is where this ends. Mm. And that, that, that shook me to the core because I love my wife and, you know, she was, you know, she got pregnant and I just, I knew I had to do everything that I could in order to, get better, not just to salvage our relationship, but I mean, even if I chose not to for that, what was this person that I was? Yeah. And, and and can it be rectified? Can I fix me? Um, and so to speak, you know, I don't even like saying things like that because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to in the, a place where I wouldn't want to label people as broken, but just, you know, different and misguided and off a path. Mm-hmm. And, and that's totally what I was. And that's when I went and I sought counseling. And yeah, counseling helps, but, but the truth of the matter is uh, things have to happen in order for that to take place. And you have to identify that you have an issue. You have to have a sincere desire to rectify it. Mm-hmm. And you got to fucking show up every day and do the work. And that was probably the most difficult thing I've done in my life. So the, the, the first part about it then is just recognizing that you have an issue and, yeah. and then figuring out how you can fix that. And then once you come with a plan on how to fix that, like you said, just hammering down every day. And so what did that look like for you? Like how, what were some of the, I guess the steps that you took that might even help other veterans, um, to kind of help you get back on your feet and get out of that hole. Um, I'm, uh, 
I'm 12 years into it and I'm still doing the work. <laughs> so, it is, uh, and, and, and make no mistake, I am uh, leaps and bounds away from, from you know, that, that, that person I was when I came back and, you know, that mindset. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm still doing the work and it, it consisted of, in the very beginning, you know, it was, it was counseling because we have stigmas about, you know, counseling and getting help and what mm -hmm. that means and embarrassment, machismo, and uh, as well as we're, we're in particular positions, you know, some of us, you know, are in certain positions where we're scared of, uh, you know, retaliation or, or, you know, people can't discriminate based off a of handicap. And, and, and that's what, you know, this could be classified as, mm -hmm. but they find ways of doing it. So yep. people are still scared based off of experiences mm -hmm. and those experiences being shared, like, Oh man, I don't want that to happen to me. I would really love to go see a counselor, but fuck that if that gets out. And so I, I, I knew that I understood it. And I was like, you know what? I'll pay out of pocket. I won't have a paper trail. I, I did what I had to do to seek out the help and eliminate the excuses as to why I shouldn't. And, and it started right there. And step by step, uh, you know, I moved, I found another counselor up uh, where I moved now. And then, uh, you know, got into uh, a not-for-profit organization that has me talking with a lot of like-minded individuals that had a lot of fears like me, uh, experiences like me, and, uh, you know, it's not just veterans, but, you know, there's, there's a, a plethora of pro, pro athletes that go through the same thing when it comes mm -hmm. to taking off a uniform and finding your identity and having issues going through and stuff like that. So I was with a, uh, I'm with a program right now where I'm getting peer support and talking to other people and, 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 and becoming vulnerable and, and realizing what that does for people mm -hmm. only because mm -hmm. I watched that happen for me. I yeah. watched, I watched this man get up and get vulnerable and start talking about suicide attempts that he was making. It blew my mind. And I looked at this guy, uh, savage, complete savage killer. Right. And, 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 and here he is breaking down and being all vulnerable and, 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 and how that touched me. And I began to do it myself and see, the relief and, 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 and the help and the good feelings that that created and for other people along that path, as I got more and more comfortable talking about my troubles and my PTSD and, and seeking counseling and how people are like, yo, man, I, I appreciate you saying that I've, you know, for years been really scared and didn't know how. And, and so just talking about it um, has done wonders yeah. in regards to, you know, the, the whole recovery process. Mm -hmm. oh, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about them here multiple times, so I, I know they don't care, but I, I'm guessing you're talking about merging vets and players, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talking about the merging vets and players, man. It's, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, face value. I was just like, all right, you know, I give this a shot. My buddy who, who, who played pro football for 12 years reached out to me and said, yo, man, I've been a part of this group. I want you to check it out. And I trusted him. I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. And of course, I came up with a reason not to that first week. He called me like a Tuesday. The meeting was on a Wednesday. And then I had a reason not to do it, right? And then, you know, he, he called me again and I felt the pressure. I'm like, I'm going to show up to this thing. I'm going to see what's up. And you know, as comfortable as I, as I got talking about counseling and talking about 
struggles and, and, and recovery. I never just came right out with it with mm-hmm. people on, on a personal level, uh, certainly not in a group setting. And uh, when I got on this group and I saw how these people were and the setting that was created, uh, I had zero issues sharing. And it just, uh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it and I'm a big, uh, I'm a big advocate of it. And I'm just really trying to, as my buddy says, show people the trough now. If, yeah. if, if you want to drink from it, come on through, bro. It's, 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 it's available. But but that's it now. Now I got no problems walking around talking about vets and players, and uh, in hopes that it does for people what it did for me and what I watch it do for other people. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. No, and it, you know it goes back to our original uh, statement about your shirt. And I think you know you're you're wearing your purpose on your chest now. Is like yeah. you know there's so much behind you know what anybody can do really to help veterans and i'm not saying uh, we've said it multiple times on here not every veteran needs help not every veteran like has something that they need to like somebody needs to reach out to them or whatever Mm -hmm. but there are people that clearly still have something that they're dealing with every day and that support and that group and that help needs to be there and it shouldn't carry a stigma with it and it should not have a stereotype with it it should be, look, we all went through some serious shit. Like, don't judge me <laughs> for what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with it. Support me and help me mm-hmm. and let's get past this so that I can be, you know, your brother, your sister, your your father, your, you know, your son or whatever it may be again. And let me get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you're not in it doesn't mean that you can't face that with somebody and yeah. uh, and help somebody else out with their own struggles. I think you, you can't battle things alone. Correct. And, and, and not everyone is going to have the shared experience. Not every, you know, not every person's experience is, you know, they're all fingerprints, you know, not one is the same. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a spectrum of experiences. You have people. And that was my greatest fear when it came to sharing as well, when I was ready to do it. Um, a peer support group was not something I was interested in because uh, for a long time, you know, that one rocket was, was it. And, and there was a shame in that because I never fired my weapon. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. never got into a shootout. I never engaged. I never got pinned down in a, in a, in a, in a trough or a ravine or, 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 you know, people had elevated position. And, and when I was in a vet, I've never experienced stuff like that. And I'm coming or, or, or came across groups where people be situations and share that and then here i am like uh uh Najan, how would you like to share fuck that no mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, it's 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 a sense of shame that comes over you that um it's unnecessary and the reason why i have confidence saying that now is because yeah no i, I, I never shot my rifle i was never in those positions and unfortunately i still came back fucked up Mm-hmm. I don't have uh, an explanation for it as to why. It, I mean, it drudges up other things that you have experienced in your life and other traumas. But I came back and I needed help. So if you are, you know, have experienced some heavy shit and 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 you're looking at yourself like, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I, I watched my friend. You know, 
God forbid, you know, you know, got hurt right in front of me, or, you know, I lost this, I lost that. Yeah, there's no convincing you, but there's probably a population of people out there that didn't experience those things and don't get why or how much uh, they've changed or have been altered or actually experienced certain traumas that are affecting them today. Mm-hmm. So that's what these, these, these groups can be, especially with this, uh, you know, this forthcoming coming and, and, and humbling uh, amount of people. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter what you experienced or, or what you didn't experience. Mm-hmm. Just know that there are like-minded people. They are out there. And if you care to, to, to gain that help, if you care to, to walk that path, I guarantee you, if you look, you're going to find somebody to walk it with you yeah. and somebody that can relate and, 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 and you're not going to be by yourself, man. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, I want to say, you know, first of all, I don't think if you have been a veteran, been to combat, been whatever, you know, in firefights or what or not, you you for one should not have to explain why you feel the way that you do. But I can absolutely tell you people who don't understand some reasons potentially why and everybody's reason is different. But you, there's so much that people don't realize you go through even just in the preparation, the going through basic training, the breaking down of who you were before and turning you into somebody else and then getting trained up and going into combat and that just, even if you don't think about it, you're in your flow or whatever and you're not, you're not really like paying attention to it. It's happening. It's in, it's in the back of your mind. You know, you, it may not be in the forefront, but you are at a higher sense of focus and awareness and you know there's an enemy out there that's trying to get you or your friends or whatever the case may be. And all those things happen to everybody who's been to combat. It happens to everybody. I don't care if you've been outside the wire or not. And so it's not something that people should be like, well, I never got in a firefight. I never discharged my weapon. I never did this. I never, never did that. Yeah. But you all went through the same training together. You all got broken down and rebuilt into something else than you were before. Yeah. I don't think there's any shame of not firing your weapon. Right on. There shouldn't be at least. Right on. No, you, you know what? I, 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 I don't have it now. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. But, but, but having to go through that, that is definitely something I make sure I talk about because I'm not the only person. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot and, of others, and, but and I really want that. And I, and I appreciate you guys saying that, man, that, that message definitely needs to uh, get out there and reach uh, anybody who may you know, feel like that, that there, there certainly is no shame in that. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't changed. Maybe you haven't experienced those traumas. And if you haven't awesome, because I'm, it's, it's not definitive that you have, but you know, it, it doesn't take major loss, like losing your friends or having people blown up in front of you or losing a limb to experience trauma and to mm-hmm. come back different and in need of help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully we're not going down the wrong path a long time after we come home before we discover it or even worse, don't discover it. And now we're in a dark place. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's, and it's not even to shame anybody that, um, you know, was never in the service, but I would just say more so on that if there's, you know, other veterans listening that maybe have that same mindset as you that maybe never got it the chance to fire their weapon or fight overseas or whatever the case may be, but they were still deployed. They still went through the process. There's not many people that are willing to do that. Mm-hmm. 
So that sets you a peg above everybody else. And it's not to compare apples to oranges. And it's not to, like I said, to shame people that don't sure. serve the military. Their life has taken them somewhere else. I think it's more so just like there's also a group of people that would never have the balls to do that. And so if you're one of those people that still chose to do that, to sign up, to start with your ASFAB and then go down into MEPS and do all that. And then you go through boot and you pass and then you graduate and then you actually get deployed overseas. That's a huge accomplishment of its own. Mm-hmm. And you're still part of a team. So you're still helping contribute to a greater cause. So I, I think that that whole, you know, that whole side of shame can be turned off at any point. It's kind of just, I think, I think we hold ourselves to that level. No one else holds that over our head. Agreed. Agreed. It's, 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 it's misplaced, uh, comparisons, you know, mm-hmm. unfair comparisons of ourselves to, to, you know, whatever the case may be, wherever that stems from, whether, whether it's, you know, the, the, the traumas of war or insecurities stemming from childhood or whatever the case may be, you know, it, it, it it's, I think it's a good message. It's a good, it's a good conversation to have. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, one, one that I haven't heard a lot, you know, so I thought that was, uh, but that was real good. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've teetered on it multiple times, and I feel like your life has got you in and out of it multiple times. <laughs> but uh, so you were you were going initially to to get some schoolwork to eventually apply to be a cop, and then you decided to join the military. Then yep. you got out, and then you did become a police officer. Am I right? Yep. So you've always had this this tie, this pull to bring you back to be a police officer. Where does that come from? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I mean, you think of uh, you know all the stories and, and movies, and like if you can go back, I mean, like how often do children say, "I want to be a police officer," "Yeah, I want to be a firefighter," "I want to be an astronaut." That was right? mine. <laughs> And I was a kid who wanted to be a police officer and it just never changed. It, 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 I, I can't remember a time I didn't want to be a police officer all the way to when I was a teenager and doing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that teenagers do hanging out in schoolyards <laughs> with the wrong people and always being on the outskirts of the crowd. The crowd was here and I would look around and I would look for points of egress and if they start to get loud, I hang out on the outskirts mm-hmm. only because if the cops came, I had to make sure I wasn't getting caught. Because yep. if you get caught, I'm not going to be a cop. That's <laughs> yeah. true. You always so have to watch it. I, I, I always planned and, and, and desired it and was going to school for it. 9-11 happened and I went to the military and my police department, uh, fortunate enough for me, I didn't have to come back and, and, and go back to school or, or, or you know, uh, you know, at that time, um, I didn't have to wait or delay anymore because you had to do either two years of schooling or two years of active duty. Oh, wow. So I wound up taking the police test before I was even out of the army and became, I, I became a cop three months after I got out and wow. in my first stint. So they went up fast tracking me, a process that takes several months. They did it in three months for me. Wow. I started in October, did October, November, December, and I was hired by uh, January 9th in, uh, in 2006. That's, That's crazy. Awesome. You know what's crazy about that is uh, like I got this and granted this is Washington state but I can't count the number of people and granted this is also 
several years later too. So this would have been, you know, 2010 to 2012, I kept getting this, this feedback, but a lot of people that were separating from service had trouble getting into police departments in Washington. And I don't know if it was all police departments. I just remember all my friends being like, Oh yeah, I applied. They rejected me because of whatever the case may be. But supposedly what it was is like, they thought the same stigmas, like, People are coming back from war. They're going to have PTSD. They're going to be so quick to pull the trigger. They're going to make the wrong, wrong mistake. You know, all these other things. So it's so cool and interesting to hear that they had a different mindset previously. Did that ever change? Have you have you seen that ever change from New York's perspective? New York City and the NYPD, um, whatever... Uh, grumblings I may have, or, you know, say that they are a uh, military friendly, uh, you know, community atmosphere entity uh, mm. to the point where, you know, they give you, uh, you know, extra days to take off. You know, if, if you're, if you're a vet for you, you get two extra days more than everyone else. You get one wow. for Veterans Day, you get one for, you know, um, uh, more weekend, mm-hmm. you know, Memorial Day, and uh, if, if if I think if, if you got like a Purple Heart, you get Fourth of July too, you know, and uh, how and then you That's get really to cool. pay into your pension, you get to buy years back. So I'm retiring two years early because because I did leave the job for that one year. I went down to Virginia. I bought three years back military. You can buy it for three years back and put it into wow. your pension. You That's do great. 17 years as a cop, you retire with a 20 year pension. Wow. And, uh, they, they do a lot for the military and especially the reserves. And, and if you're National Guard, they give you a lot of time off. Um, while I was deployed, I was still a police officer here. I was still getting paid. They, you know, you get you get you get paid a difference. You know, it's differential payment. But but I was I was, you know, still getting a chunk and change from them. Um, and I know they didn't have to. And other departments don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's. Uh, it's very friendly, very very pro military. That's awesome. Hey, fucking shout out to New York PD. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what? It, you know what it is? Is uh, I it, it's having to deal with all the fucking crazy people in New York. <laughs> they, they need as many as they can. I would say the only other state that has a peg up on you is Florida. <laughs> they they yes. got to deal with another level of crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely experimenting and, uh, <laughs> with all different things. You're, you were kind of telling us a little bit about it when we were in person, but I'm curious to know, like, what are some of the, if you can even discuss it, what are some of the crazy situations you found yourself in with New York PD? Um, like, uh, like, what do you mean? Like job experiences? Uh, no, just situations or? with like, uh, yeah, I've told us about the, with, like the riots, with civilians, the with people. occupied, uh, wall street and all the the craziness that just says honestly from an outsider's perspective seems especially crazy but i mean it, it probably is like inflated by the media and all that kind of stuff but yeah i'm curious what those like what the whole that whole time frame of recently with all the protests that were going on i know dan was uh, pretty interested in that when we were meeting up in person so I'm, I'd, l- I'd love to hear that, your perspective yeah that was that was that was surprising that was next level um the, just the whole way that the, the, the situation popped off. Um, and, and, and I got very lucky because um, I forget the dates, but, but I do recall that things really got nasty. Like when we're talking about fires and riots, that day one was, you know, Molotov cocktails. That was on a Friday night. And uh, I wound up being off of work. 
that Friday. And calling people in when they're off in NYPD is a terribly difficult thing to accomplish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think unlike other departments. And uh, so I was off that Friday, uh, Saturday, and uh, no, I'm sorry. I worked that Friday and I wound up going around the clock with a collar, at, you know, from this girl who spit in my mouth and then punched me in my face. What? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they, they were trying to take over commands. They, they were trying to, uh, you know, with what happened I believe, in Washington, I believe, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the, one of the, one of the, was it Seattle? That's Seattle was is where it all started. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was where it all started. And they wound up taking over a, a an actual precinct mm-hmm. in, 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 in Seattle, I believe, and, and took it. And so I think that there was a, a, a mindset that like, we're going to do that here too. And that, that, the, no, uh, <laughs> it's just 30 some odd thousand cops. It's not, it's, it's, a, it's bigger than some countries' armies. Jeez. Yeah. So when you, when you, when, when the efforts were made, you know, you heard the radio call out when a cop is in trouble, they call out for like a, it's called a 1013 or an 85 and 85 is like one level under a 13 people respond to them the same way they go. And so when the calls started coming over that there was a 13 or an 85 at the precinct that they were trying to take it over, we were flying from Manhattan into Brooklyn. And by the time we got to, I think it was like the eight one or something like that. And uh, by the time we got there, things were much more under control. And then the seven, nine was experiencing the same thing. So we shot over there and insanity. There, there were hundreds of people out in front of the place. I've, I've, I've never seen anything like this. Um, how do you stay cool in that situation? Like, how do you stay calm with someone spit in your mouth and punching you in the face? You, don't. you do or you don't. I, 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 plenty of people don't fuck i would snap that's just me personally because if you don't it's not over for you you know and and, Mm, and, and you know i tell i tell everybody i was like this is the real housewives of nypd this is a reality show you're Mm. living on camera 24 7 there is not a corner in new york city that something isn't being recorded in some way Mm -hmm. Mm. security cameras you know the NYPD's cameras, or 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 somebody you know filming with a with a with a you know cell phone. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So so if you walk with that mindset, now you got body cams, right? So if you're walking with that mindset, it helps. It certainly helps. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're pushing these people back off of this block, and there's just this one girl who just was she was all in, all in. She was she was all about it. She was hyped up, mob mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. People are flipping out. Um, I, you know, I'm pushing her back and somebody just screamed really loud. Don't touch her. And and she reacted to that. She just spit. And, I'm sorry. She punched me in my face. <laughs> and then when I came back with my O face, I was like, what? She spit. And it went right in my mouth. Oh. And I was I was like, OK, uh, you got to arrest her basically. Punch. Right. And, and, and honestly, in that moment, I was just like, I was just like, Oh my God. And I was going to be like, get out of here. But that spit, I was like, you're coming with me. And taking her in wasn't hard. I just grabbed her, put some flex cuff on her and she was defeated. And, and that's the mob mentality. And I think that that is a lot of what happened in New York city in regards to people being emotionally churned and fired up and how easy it is to make a mistake in those moments. And I'm mm-hmm. saying that's for us too, right? Like mm-hmm. cops too. You're saying, how do you stay cool in a situation like that? 
I think both people on both sides have our works cut out for us. Yeah. And when I brought this girl in, um, you know, be it as it may, uh, over the next four or five hours that I spent with her, like, like, like I realized that she was just an asshole in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and maybe, listen, maybe she sold me a bag of goods and, 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 and I bought it. I don't know. I just, I observed her from, from a distance. I watched her give water to the other girls and the cellmates. I brought her in and she was like, fuck, I am sorry about that. She wouldn't even look me in the eyes, you know, like, like, like just, just defeated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the night, the people who were supposed to come and process her, they, they weren't coming. They, they, they were a bit busy. So, you know, the, the, the death sergeant's like, get rid of them, Put, cut them on a summons. So, so instead of being arrested and locked up, she got the gift of all gifts and she got a ticket wow. you know, for, mm-hmm. for, for, for doing that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened to her after that. I don't know if she showed up the following nights throwing Molotov cocktails at cops or breaking into Macy's or anything like that. Um, hopefully not. I, I, I mean, I like to think that maybe she took her lickings and was like, I got lucky and stayed home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's you know, the, fingers crossed you'd like to think so. That's the sensitive line is that I think there's a lot of pros to protesting on whatever you're um, pro about. You know, if you feel like there's a reason that you need to be there and there's a safe way to do it, then by all means do it. And I think there's this weird thing to where people get so caught up into what other people think. And when they see other people take action, they think that's the right action. So throwing Molotovs, burning buildings, punching cops, whatever. They think, okay, well, if they're doing it and they're that pissed, then I need to be on that level. And then it's interesting to watch people. And even you see videos now of people that are at protests that all of a sudden there's another group of people that starts beating up and ganging up on those people. And those people are saying, call the police. Mm. When those are the people that were saying, fuck the police five minutes prior. So to me, it's such a shocking thing that it's like, you hate that group of people so much. But then when you get singled out, or you get overwhelmed or you get defeated, you're then all of a sudden like, fuck, actually, I need these people or I'm locked behind bars and my friends aren't around me. Now I got to act on my own and the wheels start kind of playing back. And it's just interesting to watch people just flip like so fast like that. And you watched it happen in moments and you watched it happen over that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, after that arrest, I was off that Saturday and Sunday where shit continued to be crazy and like, like, I went back that Monday and I think, I think it was like that Monday or Tuesday. That's when we had the standoff at the, at the Manhattan bridge. And there was like five, 500 cops. There was a standoff on the Manhattan bridge. Uh, Yeah. The Manhattan bridge. So, so they were coming over from Brooklyn Mm. and they, they, you know, it's, you know, Brooklyn and Manhattan bridge connect, you know, you know, connect different uh, areas of Brooklyn, uh, not too far from each other. You know, if, if, if one has traffic, you drive five more minutes and you can get on the other bridge. Yeah. And uh, they were walking over and we're getting the feedback. You have cops on Brooklyn side, you have aviation above, and they're like, get all the cops over to the bridge right now. They're not coming into Manhattan. Otherwise, we're going to have a long night, right? So they brought they brought all the cops they had as fast as they could, and it was like 500 cops. That's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. 5,000 protesters. Mm-hmm. And it is by the grace of individuals. It was by the fact that these people weren't buying into the mob mentality that night, or maybe they are, you know, three or four days into it and are tired or a tide was turning 
that had them not bull rush us because if they wanted to come into Manhattan, they could have came into Manhattan. Yeah. And we put up a good front. We put up a good presence. We had some barriers. And then within like 40 minutes after they're being there, we're standing off and they're getting kind of aggressive. We brought trucks in and we're able to make it more and more difficult. And, and the guy gets on the bullhorn after having a conversation with one of, one of, one of the people, one of the brass. And they're like, all right, guys, we either storm these guys or we turn around and go home. <laughs> people, it was the funniest thing because when I heard that, I was like, all, all right, right, here we go. Here we go. And people were like, I'm going home. <laughs> they're like, okay. And everyone just turned around, grabbed their football, and they're like, I'm going home. I'm taking my football with me. And 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 that ended the night. I was I was wow. I was floored. I was I was so ready and so expecting uh, some savagery in that moment, and it just never came. Do you, do you remember what month that was? Yeah, that was uh, that was June. June. Okay, so I was there after that. I was there in October, um, and there was another. That's why I'm confusing it because there was another situation where. I think there was like two or 3000 protesters that came across a bridge because I was eating at a restaurant and, you know, right now with COVID New York, it's like, it's like Europe, you know, you got all like the, the tents outside the restaurant and you're eating on the sidewalk. And I remember eating there with a group of friends and I mean, you could hear it from blocks away and like literally like maybe like two seconds later, I'm cashing out and all of a sudden they're walking by beating on the fucking tent. And it was the first time I've seen that many protesters and I'm like, you know, dressed up. I look like a fucking redneck. I've got like an old ripped up like Metallica shirt tucked in with like a big old belt buckle and cowboy boots. I look like I'm straight off the ranch and I'm just standing there like on the sidewalk watching these people just staring them down, like looking at them and everyone's just walking by staring me down with mask on all black. And I'm like, damn, this is crazy to see like that. Like there's no cars. They overtook that whole street and they were just marching down like miles and miles. Where were the uh, where were the cops on the very back end? You know, it's funny I didn't see one. Um, so I don't know <laughs> if they weren't around that area yeah. at the time, or they were, you know, maybe waiting down blocks trying to tell them to turn back. I have no idea. But I was there for literally, you know, ten minutes wrapping up that dinner, and then I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to stand around and listen to all this and and see all this stuff go down because it's really sad to see a city get overtaken like that. But not my city. I'm not going to pick a fight. Not my city. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and you've seen enough footage and heard enough stories all across America that, that had people in your exact situation that were, you know, you, know, you didn't provoke anybody, just, just attacked mm-hmm. and, and, and were put in dangerous situations and threatening situations. So, so getting out of there was certainly the, 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 the right choice. Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't know. Like, I mean, <laughs> Before all this protesting, you know, I thought a lot of these people were, you know, nonviolent. Like they'd break stores and burn shit. And then all of a sudden you're seeing guys with rusty fucking screwdrivers. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, probably take a handful of these guys. But if I get rushed by like 20 of these motherfuckers, <laughs> I'm not going to try and. No, there's, there's, there's definitely a big portion that that you're, you're, you're not going to succeed, you know, in such a situation. And, and you know, they're the vast majority were nonviolent. Yeah. They were, you know, and it was it was so tainted. And that very that very day that we had that standoff, we uh we were driving our vehicles going from one point to another. It was me, my lieutenant, I had three other people in the back and we were two cars. 
and it was just two of us, you know? So I think it was like 10 of us total. And we were on two, three and third Avenue. And there was traffic. We're like, what the fuck? We put on our lights, we're going around. And the traffic was because the protesters were coming by. And then we stopped right in our tracks. And they looked at us with every intent of continuing down third Avenue. And they just turned and surrounded our cars. And I'm like, fuck. And it, again, it takes one person to incite something, right? So all these people are coming by, they're knocking on our windows, giving middle fingers, cursing at us. I'm putting on my helmet and my lieutenant's like, chill. And then this egg comes flying from the background and lands on the windshield. And these, these two ladies were like, stop. And this crowd of people went over to the person that threw the egg and was like reprimanding that person. And everyone started coming over, pouring water, taking napkins and wiping it off oh, wow. because they didn't want it to turn into that. That's good. So they started to take over their cause from these people who were giving it a bad name. And so experiencing that, you know, put a light on the fact that, yeah, man, there were a lot of nonviolent people who were angry and pissed for, for reasons that if we want to have that conversation and argue about that, we could, but they weren't putting their hands on people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that mm-hmm. moment had me realize that, yeah, man, that there's, there's, there's a lot of people exploiting this along with everything else that was going on at the time. That, that, that's a so, sad part about it is you got these people that are yeah. so extreme side of things that yeah. almost want to go into that scene and cause chaos and point the finger at that group and be like, nope, they all did it. And so it's really tragic to see that you've got these extreme sides of people and other people in the middle that just want to be there and, you know, voice their opinions and their beliefs. Well, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, too, is like every every protest comes from tragedy, like something happened Mm -hmm. to cause people to want to protest. And then there's a group of people who want to take advantage of that and turn it into chaos. Yeah. And it's not the vast majority. It's a small minority who want to do that. And I don't just from my perspective, even because like I'll watch the video footage and stuff and I'll see things. And if you look like, yes, the stuff that's online and what's in news and stuff like that. Yeah, it looks really bad. But if you look in the background, most of the time of the bad stuff happening is people just standing around like wanting to be there to witness it, I guess. I don't know. Just just to be there. Just filming it. And it's not that they're not doing any harm, but they're also not doing any good being there. Um, But in general, you know, it's a small minority of people that are truly out to do harm and damage and and cause chaos. And Mm -hmm. I just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I wish it was again, like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's people who've researched it and stuff like that. But, you know, protests have have a have a reason and a purpose and they should constantly be utilized and, and everybody's first amendment right should be exercised and they should be able to protest on their own accord. Um, but the second that it turns into violence, people need to realize that it's turning into that. And then it, it becomes, all right, now let's figure out how to protect people and people need to see that it transitioned to that point. And then people need to be like, all right, I was here for the protest. Now it's turning into something violent. I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And that's really what people need to see and, and be like, all right, I'm not contributing to the cause anymore. I'm causing more chaos and confusion. And I'm getting in the way of these police officers who are trying to do their job, who are trying to pr- protect people. And then just 
causing more chaos and making it harder for everybody. Well said. That is, that is, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Observing and knowing. Yeah. it's different now. <laughs> yeah. And I think what it was before the sun went down. <laughs> no. And I think lastly on this topic, but I think, you know, when you were looking at other, uh, you know, other States and cities where you had, you know, I guess, you know, civilians that are like strapped and all that. I know New York is a non-carry state yeah. and all that. Did you still have crowds of people that are carrying ARs and all that stuff too? Like you saw in other States? Not at all. No. Yeah, no. You, so yeah. so no, no one fast. was armed. That will be. Uh, it's a felony right out of the gate. I'm gonna give an example. Like, like, can you imagine, like, you know, walking around a Capitol building and somebody pulls out an AR? But like, you know, what just happened for? You? <laughs> I yeah. think that became a poor example. But like, you know, I mean, like, 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 I think DC around the White House is the same thing, right? Like, 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 you can't just walk around open carry around there mm-hmm. and. If, if something were to happen, there would be an immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. And so with all the protests in New York, if that were to occur and somebody identified it, it's, it's, it, that could be very looking and confusing in other states where it's like, oh, watch that guy, but we're not doing anything because this is allowed. No, that, this would be swarmed. And, mm-hmm. and, and gotcha. everyone would just directly go to that situation and, and, and hopefully subdue this individual before that thing gets drawn. And, and if not draw the weapons themselves, that would immediately be addressed. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting. Cause I remember seeing that and you'd see like even young kids, like 17, 18 years old with like ARs, like just hanging around standing there. And I'm like, why? Like, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, I, 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 I'm a very empathetic person, so I can understand from both sides where people feel like they're doing something that is helping by protecting others. But when it comes to building out where that's not your job and that is not what you are literally paid to do, then you're just adding to the chaos. You're fucking playing Call of Duty. You're you're dressing up and taking video games (laughs) to the extreme. And being yeah. like, no, nah, I want to be a hero. I'm going to sling this thing around my arms and stand there. And I get it. I'm totally Second Amendment pro. And it's like, I totally understand you need, you know, guns to protect yourself and your family. But like Dan said, I think if it comes to, are you on a salary? Are you, you know, are you getting paid? Or, you know, are you actually helping police? Are you helping anybody out by that? Or are you just using it as a, an intimidation factor that's going to cause more right chaos? simple risk management yeah and, and and that can come or be expected of like you know if you're talking about like to like a 35 year old man or 40 year old man like you idiot and, and like you said you had like 17 year old kids that are doing that that don't have that yet mm-hmm. they should and maybe some 17 year olds do but i wouldn't be surprised if you have an individual who's 17 running around an ar i feel b- more bad for them beautiful. what's that i feel more bad for the younger you know guys because i think yeah. like you said they haven't learned that that mental kind of right. capacity maturity yet right exactly I, I i i feel for you uh for being in that situation far more than i would for an adult it's like ah, you should know better that's yeah. risk reward ratio what was your risk management what do you think was going to happen blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. yeah well um you know i want to i want to wrap on this um with everything that you know being involved with these veteran organizations and stuff like that and your experience as a cop and then 
also, you know, going through your own struggles and stuff like that. What, what do you think is the conversation or like, what do you think is the stereotype that we should eliminate or what is the, the mindset people should have when engaging people who are serving? So not just veterans, but also police officers. Like you have a unique position in that you've served in both roles Mm -hmm. in that you can, I think you can have a, a deeper impact on people who are looking from the outside in and are trying to understand kind of what does it mean to really be selflessly serving in different capacities and how can I help and what are the stereotypes that I see that I need to eliminate? You know, I have, uh, I have, I have a wife and three children and a small little Maltese named Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the wife? I'm just a fucking person, man. And, 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 you know, I, I, I always wanted to be a cop. Um, you know, I, I didn't always want to be a soldier and I'm proud that I was. And, 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 and the thing that got me to do that. And, and my whole point behind all of this is just, I'm just another person. I breathe air. I bleed blood. I got a heart behind this rib cage and I'm not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very flawed human and I'm pretty sure whoever I would say it to can't say anything different. I'm pretty sure you're a flawed human. And so don't look at us at any, you know, any different. And we're not just damaged and we're not unfixable. You know, as soldiers coming back, it's, it's, it's all possible. It all can be possibly managed mm-hmm. and, and figured out and helped. And some people just need information and guidance mm-hmm. and support and not to be written off you don't know what people have been through and 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 just having some empathy as 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 you know as you say like, like you, you can understand both sides that's that's amazing and uncommon unfortunately it, 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 in in mass quantities anyway so Hopefully, you know, my message would be to, to, you know, have empathy and Mm. really try to put yourself in somebody's shoes. Imagine it to the best of your ability if you can Mm -hmm. and understand how difficult these jobs are and transitions are as well. And the decision making process that goes into these things. It's 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 not easy. But, you know, we do it. We do the best we can. That's right. Yeah. J-Rod, it's been uh, awesome just having you be a part of it tonight. And thank you for taking the time to hop on. Like I said in the beginning, I know Dan and I were excited to have you come onto the podcast and onto the show and and hear more of your story because, you know, the book can only tell so much. And I think we can kind of get more of a, a deeper look at, you know, what motivated you and through the events of 9-11 and where your life has taken you with NYPD. No, thank you, man. It's a, it's a, it's a truly a blessing and, a, and an honor to be a part of this project. The moment I heard about it, I was, I was super intrigued. And the, the, the message that, that you guys are really trying to get out there and have people understand is a very, very important one uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and uncommon. And I'm grateful that you guys are doing this, and I'm certainly grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. We'll definitely, uh, you know, be in touch and, and thank you again for, for being on the show tonight with us. Yeah. Can't thank you enough. And I, I appreciate you sharing your story and your message and I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. Awesome. Certainly hope so. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Of course. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you.